Hello, soulmates. You know, I feel that Friday spirit coming on. Come on, it's Friday here. spirit. It's, it's almost Come here. Come on, spirit. Hey, soulmates. Uh, plenty to talk about on this Thursday. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. We're following reactions from really around the world mm -hmm. as legendary music icon Tina Turner has passed on. Plus, how George Floyd is being honored on this already third anniversary of his uh, unfortunate uh, death. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. Plus, there's concerns for the future of Black Lives Matter and what Adidas is doing to give back to social justice organizations. They're the stories that impact our people. We're bringing you our news, our views, and our voice. So topping, of course, our conversation for today, President Biden urged Congress to pass police reform legislation on the three-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder. The president emphasized the need for fair and impartial justice for all following Floyd's tragic death at the hands of a police officer who knelt on his neck for over nine minutes. The incident captured on video ignited nationwide outrage and sparked protests against police brutality. Despite House approval, the George Floyd Justice in Police Act, which bans things like chokeholds and no-knock warrants, failed to pass the Senate. Biden called on Congress to act and vow to continue fighting for police accountability. Well, you know, Courtney, I can hardly believe that it has been uh, three years mm -hmm. since we witnessed uh, the murder yeah. of George Floyd. And, you know, that reverberated not just across the country, but around the world. Uh, you know, I was going on social media and looking to see, you know, what our leaders are looking to do next, because as you know, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act stalled uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, noticeably absent voice was Senator Tim Scott, mm -hmm. one of the lead negotiators in the Senate uh, on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Notice that he didn't tweet anything. He hasn't posted anything as of the time of this show. Mm -hmm. um, I saw that Senator Booker, uh, the other lead negotiator in the Senate, did tweet something, but it was rather underwhelming. But still, the Congressional Black Caucus, right before we went on, I got a note uh, from a source saying that uh, Congressional Black Caucus Chair Steve Horsford uh, is going to launch a briefing tomorrow announcing Democracy for the People, a summer of action. And so they're leaving D.C. and they're going to be out uh, in places across the country, in Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, Florida, and Tennessee, uh, really sort of continuing the momentum that we saw grow from the outrage around George Floyd's murder. How interesting is it that we're on the third anniversary of of George uh, Floyd's murder. We're on the first anniversary of the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, 19 babies killed, uh, two teachers uh, along with those 19 uh, killed as well, and then 17 are injured, still in recovery, and probably some, some type of forever recovery, just a tragic uh, event. And so you have police brutality, you have uh, gun violence still at the forefront of our minds, at the conversations. We're still suffering uh, on both ends and here we are about to enter into an election season and I just don't see and sense and hear and feel the urgency just yet. Yeah. yeah. It's heartbreaking. It, it, it is, it is, it is. But it's also important to note, you know, that there is a lot that has come out of uh, the murder of George Floyd. You know, people can't look away. They can't look away from, you know, the gross injustice that we see. Uh, and, you know, look at, you know, the Tyree Nichols case, you know, look at so many other cases, you know, that have gotten uh, the attention that they deserve, mm -hmm. you know, because folks were awakened during the George Floyd uh, uh, protest. And yeah. so uh, we got to keep up the work. We do. We, we absolutely do. do. 
Well, legendary entertainer, Tina Turner, the queen of rock and roll, has passed away at the age of 83, leaving an immense void felt across generations. Angela Bassett, who portrayed Turner in a biographical film, What's Love Got to Do With It, paid tribute, highlighting Turner's impact on love, compassion, and freedom. Former President Barack Obama praised Turner's power and fearlessness, while Oprah Winfrey recalled the enchanting experience of joining Turner on stage. Magic Johnson expressed his admiration for her incomparable talent, and Dinah Ross, Sierra, and Mick Jagger sh shared how heartfelt messages acknowledging Turner's influence on music and performance. Even NASA, NASA y'all, NASA honored Turner, recognizing her sparkling presence that will forever remain among the stars. The world mourns the loss of the iconic Tina Turner, forever remembered for her extraordinary legacy. I mean, what do you say? I was watching a lot of the coverage uh, yesterday, but what do you what do you say? I think you just you just you, it's, and it's reflective of where she was, like spiritually, just being still. So you just you just stay still in the memories. Uh, you may bop to the music, uh, move to the music, uh, and you just really begin to realize that we've lost another great, and then you know kind of shift and redirect yourself to continue to uh, live in the legacy thank God for the music and the memories. Um, and that's really where, where it is for me right now. It's, it's kind of like an overwhelming uh, feel of um, loss in the sense that we keep reporting about this grand generation that we keep losing. Uh, Tina Turner would be on the younger end of it in her early, uh, having passed in her early 80s. But when you think about who we've just lost, um, Harry Belafonte, mm -hmm. you know, all those in that generation, um, it, I just hope that we can carry on, yeah. you know, especially with what they laid out yeah. um, and, and just the, their rich life, the ups and the downs, which mm -hmm. we, a lot of this generation was very transparent about. They couldn't help but to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of ups and downs, I mean, one of the, the low points in her life, uh, one of the, the tragedies in her life was the, the domestic abuse mm -hmm. that she endured for years mm -hmm. at the hands of Ike Turner. Mm -hmm. uh, and what uh, I love so much about the memory of Tina Turner is that she used to rem be remembered not for that tragedy, but for her triumph. Uh, you know, it's because she had the courage to tell her story that so many women across the country and around the world felt that courage to tell their story, mm -hmm. you know, and to get out of their situation. And she just raised the profile of domestic violence as an issue in our country and around the world. And we owe a great debt to her. She is a great American uh, for that reason and so many more. Yeah, she said, all I wanted was my name. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that speaks to know thyself. Yeah. She, she had, you know, and she might've been a little in a gray area, you know, professionally and personally, but at the very core of that, 
she knew that there was some worth there. Yeah. She just had to work to get there. And it's also important to note that the Tina Turner that, that our generation knows mm -hmm. is the Tina Turner after 40 years old. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, she's a great example that, you know, uh, what Bevy Smith says, it gets greater it gets later. greater later. It sure does. Bevy should be getting paid for that one. <laughs> All right, let's move on to California where Governor Gavin Newsom is considering media mogul Oprah Winfrey for a potential appointment to fill Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat amid growing health concerns. Newsom had promised to appoint a black woman to the position if it became available. This move may serve as a temporary solution until a replacement is chosen in 2024, allowing Newsom to avoid favoritism among current Senate candidates. Feinstein, uh, the oldest city member of Congress, has expressed her intention to complete her term until 2025. Winfrey has not provided a response to the injury. And I remember years ago, everybody was like, Oprah Winfrey for president. She was like, oh, uh, no, thank you. It's, come on, Newsom. Is he just throwing her out there? I don't I think, think he is. Oh, I think he it, is. Governor is, Newsom, come on. There like, are, there's, there's a long list of black point. women you know, that are, are worthy of your consideration to be appointed to that seat. That's right. Um, you know, uh, Oprah is a, a woman of many talents mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm sure she would be great, you know, but there are a lot of people that, that are, are more steeped in the issues before the Senate uh, that be able to hit the ground running. Uh, and they deserve consideration, you know, one of, one of which is Representative Barbara Lee, uh, mm -hmm. who happens to be running for uh, U.S. Senate in California. Um, you know, there are plenty of other folks uh, uh, to consider. And so, yeah, this is gonna make headlines, Governor, sure. Governor Newsom, right? You know, but there's a long list of talent in California, um, including but not limited to Oprah Winfrey. But if you follow Oprah, you know that's not her jam. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? She'll be involved and stand up when she chooses to. But that's not her thing. She but, said that before when people were urging her to run for president. Now, yeah. She's had a great eye over the years. She she introduced us to uh, Barack and Cory Booker and all those great folks. Uh, but she's never been interested in being in those seats. Come on, Governor Newsom. You got a lot to do out there in California. You better stop playing these political games and, and name somebody serious on, on to sit in this seat. Stop playing. Okay, I'm done. No, you, you on point. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. According to a recent poll conducted by Marquette Law School, Justice Clarence Thomas has surpassed Justice Brett Kavanaugh as the Supreme Court's least popular justice. The survey conducted in May 2023 reveals that Thomas received a 25% favorable rating and a 36% unfavorable rating, resulting in an 11-point net negative view. <laughs> Kavanaugh closely followed with a 22% favorable rating and a 32% unfavorable rating, reflecting a 10-point net negative view. <laughs> All right now. No, I ain't never no, heard that enough before. Enough with the math. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is important for you to know is that the poll also indicates a decline in confidence in the Supreme Court since 2019. The survey interviewed uh, over a thousand adults nationwide with a margin of error of about four percentage points. Well, that was so, a math class, wasn't it? Right, it sure was. I have never heard of like a negative, I don't like you. Have you ever heard of that before? Listen, as you know, a, an African-American man I can appreciate the come up. I mean, when you when you talk about the beginnings and he sits in the highest court uh, in the land. So I can appreciate the come up much like Dr. Ben Carson, who is a fellow native mm. uh, Detroiter. I appreciate the come up, the genius, the smarts, the intelligence, the contributions. It's the politics 
that sort of kind of make me go left. It's the platforms that make me go left. It's it's the it's the rhetoric that make me go left. It's it's his wife that makes me go left with him. But from a standpoint of somebody just rising up, I can appreciate that. Everything else, mm. Um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a lawyer, uh, and you know, they were saying to me that there's so much about you know, what Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has allegedly done mm -hmm. on the ethics front, um, and not done, more importantly, mm -hmm. on the ethics front, mm -hmm. that flies in the face of what they learned in law school. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is like the personification of you know, all the ethical dilemmas that you don't want to get yourself into. Um, and so it's sad to see that, that the justice that took Justice Thurgood Marshall's seat on the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, uh, you know, seems to be um, falling far short of the integrity that Justice Marshall brought to that court. I wasn't going to bring up the scandal with Miss Hill. That threw me for a left loop as well. I mean, he's been ridden with scandals for yes, a has. long time, mm -hmm. and 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 seemingly an enabler, mm -hmm. you know, of of a MAGA uh, agenda uh, in the judiciary and on the highest court. Yeah, I don't and, think he really cares about what we think about him. He's going to just continue to do his thing, and mm -hmm. so are we. Let's move on here. Black community leaders stand in support of Miami-Dade School Board member Dorothy Bendros Mendingle, calling for Vice Chair Danny Espino to apologize after excluding her from a meeting. The demands for apology were voiced during the May 17th board meeting with leaders from organizations like the NAACP expressing their outrage at the treatment of Bendros Mendingal. Uh, the board's senior black member, the incident has sparked calls for immediate action from the board to rectify the situation. Discussions during the meeting also centered around minority participation in district contracts and uh, transparency. Target is making changes to its nationwide LGBTQ merchandise plan ahead of Pride Month following intense backlash from customers. The retailer cited threats to employees' safety and well-being as the reason for adjustments. Incidents included knockdown pride displays, confrontations with workers, and threatening videos shared on social media. Now, while specific items were not disclosed, concerns were raised over quote-unquote tuck-friendly swimsuits and designs by a London-based company featuring uh, oculet and satanic themes. These adjustments come amid a surge of bills targeting LGBTQ individuals in state legislatures across the country. So to Memphis now, where police conducted a welfare check at the Tennessee home of Grizzlies guard Ja Morant. The check follows cryptic messages he posted on his Instagram account, including a caption saying, bye. The Shelby County Sheriff's Office confirms that Morant is, quote, fine and has uh, taken the social media, taken a break from social media. Now, last week, the Grizzlies suspended Morant uh, indefinitely from team activities after he appeared in a friend's live IG holding a gun. In a statement, the 23-year-old player takes accountability for his actions and expresses a commitment to personal growth. Do we believe him this time around? Well, you know, I think the, the, the proof is in the pudding. You know, uh, don't tell me, show me. Mm. You know, show me that you've learned from this. Show me that you're doing better. Show me that you're getting the help that you need. You know, show me that you take, uh, you know, this seriously and that, you know, you're, you're not just, 
you know, um, acting like a kid, you know, but, you know, you're acting like, you know, a young man and, and uh, addressing this issue head on. I mean, there are so many people that were rooting for Jay Morant, you know, to uh, overcome this. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems self-inflicted, you know, it seems so unnecessary. And, you know, if he needs help, you know, Goodness gracious, hopefully the support system around him will give him the help that he needs. Well, help to get him the help that he needs. Don't just celebrate somebody when they score big on the court. You know, you got you got to be there to support them when they fall down off the court. Well, hopefully with this last incident, if he if he does need the help that his sincerity won't be dismissed. He's they're saying he's taking accountability, but his credibility is shot right now. Uh, and and I hope that uh, you know whoever is a part of his village, his community, uh, can really really get through to him this time around. Coming up, there's a new report that says Detroit is no longer the largest majority black city. Say it ain't so. We'll tell you what the Census Bureau folks uh, are saying in regards to the city that is now replacing the Motor City. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back, Soulmates. Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report. Well, many black children miss out on Social Security payments, the ones that they're entitled to. This is at least according to a recent analysis. So only 26% of black children who have lost a parent receive survivor payments compared to 46% of non-black minors. This highlights the urgent need for improved access and advocacy to ensure equal distribution of these benefits. That's right. Experts call for reforms to address the issue and raise awareness among eligible families, action is necessary to prevent black children from falling through the cracks of the system. You know, the only thing I can think of is upon maybe the, you know, unforeseen or maybe, you know, a, a death that, you know, couldn't be avoided, that there's maybe a lack of information or a lack of knowledge as to what the minor is entitled to. You know, there might be some confusion as to, you know, maybe if the parent, you know, didn't work or, you know, uh, were there unemployment benefits or were, were they receiving social social security and other mm -hmm. you know benefits there's there's that and confusions surrounding that um, and I just think it boils down to just a lack of knowledge and not understanding uh, the resources or where to go to tap into the yeah. resources to get some answers yeah that's probably part of it I mean my mind right away goes to you know how many of these kids are uh, in the child welfare system how mm -hmm. many of them are foster youth we that's know that this good. month is foster care awareness month and and sometimes, you know, when kids are being moved from home to home in order to find their forever home, um, you know, some, there's a lot that gets lost in translation. You know, how many of these kids just don't have all of the required paperwork mm -hmm. in order to, uh, to claim, get, the uh, claim these benefits? Right. And so, you know, um, I think, you know, that's worth looking into. But, you know, astonishing because there are resources out there. But to your point, if people don't know they exist... What difference is it? And make? let's talk about the kids who do get the benefits, but because they're dealing with ill-minded uh, guardians or other relatives, the money doesn't trickle down and take care of them the way it's supposed to. That probably should be a part of that conversation as well. Lots to talk about. Oh, yes. All right. Newly released Census Bureau uh, data reveals that Memphis has surpassed Detroit as the largest major black city in the U.S. Say it ain't so. It's, it's so. The data shows Memphis with a black population of just over 
621,000 edging out Detroit by only 680 residents. <laughs> Both cities have a higher percentage of black residents compared to larger cities like New York, the Shy, uh, which has seen a steady population decline over 70 years, filed uh, field challenges against the uh, census Detroit uh, filed some challenges against the Census Bureau estimates because they don't they don't agree with it. They're disputing these figures. A, a demographer predicts that Detroit will regain its title as the largest major black city next year, emphasizing caution in interpreting population estimates. Well, how many of your cousins moved to Memphis? I mean, 680 Ooh, folks. That's, that's the difference between whether or not you know, Detroit or Memphis holds the, uh, the or, trophy or, for majority black city. Or, or Republican or Democratic president. That's our huh? <laughs> That's what that uh, uh, number reminded me of. I don't know. I, you know, Detroit has been struggling for a minute as far as you know population is concerned. This is a city built for a lot of folks, and it and very quickly it, it downturned, and so that's why we got a lot of space <laughs> and a lot of buildings. Mm -hmm. But if we're coming back and and the regentrification and folks coming back to the city, uh, the revitalization of of the river and the and the riverfront, uh, I think folks will continue. To to come back. We got to get some more industry here. We got to get these schools together. Uh, we got to, you know, get these streets safe. We have the same challenges as other major cities across the U.S. But Memphis, like that's one of like the top five dangerous cities in the country. So somebody stay in there. Maybe it's the barbecue. I don't know. <laughs> but you got Memphis, Mobile, Birmingham, uh, Baltimore. Uh, and St. Louis as some of the, like the top five, not in that order, dangerous cities. So yeah. it's very surprising to hear that Memphis is growing and thriving, but that's a good look. Yeah. It's just kind of contradicting But a you bit. know, I'm, I'm always cautious when those lists come, come out about the most dangerous cities mm -hmm. because, you know, you take Chicago, for example. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, there, there are, are public safety issues in Chicago, mm -hmm. but, it, but it's not like every single place in Chicago right. is unsafe, yeah. right? Similarly, you know, in D.C., in Oakland and so many other places, you know, across the country. But, yeah. you know, look, you know, uh, folks are going where there is opportunity. And, you know, right now it looks like, you know, Memphis is edging out Detroit in terms of that opportunity. And so this I, is a good challenge it. to have. Yeah, I you get know. it. And so hopefully, you know, Detroit City Council, Detroit Mayor, they're listening, yeah. you know, on ways to create more opportunities. But they're still going to challenge, challenge those numbers because they feel they're in error. They think, feel Detroit is still, you know, edging folks out. I think the best way to challenge those numbers is create more opportunity. Here. Just saying. Well, the head of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros Abanon, Jabrasis, issued a warning that the next pandemic could be even deadlier than COVID-19. Dr. Tedros emphasized the ongoing threat of new variants and the potential for a more dangerous pathogen to emerge. While the COVID-19 pandemic is no longer a health emergency, Dr. Tedros urged immediate and decisive action to prevent future devastation. He called for global preparedness, enhanced surveillance, and updated regulations to detect and respond to emerging diseases. The WHO is urging urgent measures to avert the impact of a future pandemic.
Impox cases in Chicago spark worries of a summer resurgence following the recent end of the public health emergency. The CDC warns of substantial risks despite the World Health Organization lifting global health emergency status for Impox. More than half of those infected in the cluster had received some vaccination, raising concerns about vaccine effectiveness. Incomplete vaccine schedules may have contributed to the cluster. Experts suggest authorities stress completing the two-dose vaccine schedule and practicing good hygiene to prevent further spread. So, Courtney, you know, one of my big takeaways, you know, from these two stories mm. is, you know, when it comes to folks that are running for office, you better ask, where do they stand on supporting public health? Mm. You know, are they interested in investing more in our public health system mm -hmm. or in less, investing less in our public health system? Because, you know, what a difference having a uh, public health system at all made when it came to, you know, addressing the COVID-19, you know, pandemic in a robust and dynamic way. Think about when we first heard about monkeypox, which we now refer to as MPOX. Um, you know, if we didn't have, you know, the, the public health system uh, that we have today, uh, you know, then, you know, that could have been an even worse crisis. And so these crises are not going to stop. Yeah. They're going to keep coming. And so we shouldn't panic, but we should prepare. Don't panic, prepare. I, you know, I'll give you that, but I also just don't, I, you know, look, we're still on the heels of COVID. We're still dealing with COVID. People are still coming down with COVID. We are still wrapping our minds around the fact that COVID is here to stay, kind of like getting the flu, you know, and, and you have to go about really managing that. And I think the impox quote unquote skier came on the heels of COVID because I remember hearing about impox and going, OK, what now? And so, you know, mentally, you know, people are struggling um, to rebound from just the the dire um, effect that that whole pandemic had on us. And, and we're resilient people, but we also lost some good folks. Mm -hmm. We also lost some soldiers, some family members who should still be here for Memorial Day weekend, you know, eating the barbecue sauce, the, the barbecue and, and, and so on and so forth. So that's still devastating and people are, that's still wreaking havoc. And so to kind of, I, 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 I appreciate the, the forewarning, but, you know, just slow down a little bit and let people continue to process what Hell, the hell just happened. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Before you put some more out there. Yeah. It, it just, people are going to get a little desensitized and then with some hits, you're going to wonder why they're not, you yeah. know, doing what you what you think they should be doing. Actually, I, I, we need to be mindful of, that thing. Of, of frightening people. We want to yes. inform people. We don't want to frighten people. But you know what? We've got more for you still ahead. Civil and social rights activist Sean King. He's helped so many. Mm -hmm. But now... He's in need of help. We'll tell you what's going on with King and how you can support him in recovering. Soulmates, we'll be right back. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. A Manhattan, New York school built for black children during the era of slavery will now be deemed a landmark. Wow, a New York City commission voted unanimously to preserve the colored school number four 
Historian Eric K. Washington submitted a request for the city to evaluate and grant the school official landmark status in 2018. Four years later, he spearheaded a grassroots campaign and organized a petition which garnered more than 2,000, 2, excuse me, 2,800 signatures for the landmark success. That's right. The three-story, 175-year-old structure was built in 1849 and 1850. It served as a school for black students from 18 60 to 1894. This is according to the New York City Landmarks Preservation Commission. Now the city will now provide six million dollars in funding to restore colored school number four, which city officials estimate will be fully restored by 2027. Wow, take that anti-woke movement. Take that, take that. What you gonna do, ban a whole school? This just Listen, really proves. If it, was, if it was in Florida, they just <laughs> they might <could>. do it. <laughs> Luckily it's in New York. I mean, but this just proves, and how ironic it's a school. Yeah. This just proves that, you know, the history is there. You can deny it all you want to. That's why that man, the power went out during that man's uh, presidential <laughs> announcement. DeSantis. Because, the, the, you know, the, the devil is busy. And sometimes the devil can be busy for a good reason. That's why that power went out. But this, 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 just you know, this is just a, a exclamation mark on our history. It is here. It is real. This is a physical embodiment of it. Stop trying to erase it. Include it. Put it in the books. Leave it in the books. You know, trust our teachers to teach it the way it should be taught. The same way I learned about Christopher Columbus and that lie. And, and let's move forward as, as a country that can at least acknowledge and appreciate and celebrate everybody's path. And let's also appreciate the history of the fact that this was a New York school that was built for black children during the era of slavery, mm -hmm. right? That alone was a revolutionary act during its time, mm -hmm. right? And so sometimes when we, when we look back on our history, you know, there's, there are a lot of folks out there that, that wanna just sort of tell sort of a, a victim narrative. A lot of folks that, that, that want to talk about, you know, uh, all the bad stuff that was done as opposed to the folks that had the courage, the people who practiced radical imagination and in, and, in, and against great odds decided to do something extraordinary. And so you're right. That is history that is mm -hmm. worth celebrating for generations. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that the New York City, uh, you know, Historical Preservation got Society got yeah. this right. That's right. All right. Journalist and social activist Sean King is asking for your help. In a new social media post, the activist said he's been diagnosed with a painful nerve condition that's left him unable to do some of the most basic actions without experiencing, quote, excruciating agony. He also said his insurance won't cover the recommended treatment, so King has reached out to his more than three million followers on social media in an appeal to help him pay for the medical procedures. King has for years been dragged by unfounded allegations of scamming in an effort to line his pockets via online donations. None of those claims uh, have been proven to be true, and I can see him having a lot of supporters who might, um, you know, reach out and help him in this matter. Listen, I think it's important not to assume malintent. Mm -hmm. uh, Sean King has been, you know, at the forefront of of making a lot of cases of injustice more visible That's right. to us, helping to connect the dots, helping to follow the money. Uh, and right now, you know, he's in need of some money to, to, to get the care that he needs. I think it's absolutely terrible that health insurance companies are in the position to be able to, to deny people 
the treatments that their doctors say that they need. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't him walking into the insurance office saying, hey, I would like to have this procedure. There was a doctor that said, you know, this is the course of treatment we prescribe. And the fact that in this country, in the United States, health insurance companies are in the position to be able to decide for us what treatments uh, we're able to have and what treatments we can't have, I think that's still a problem. Don't get me started. I'm in a, I'm in a fight right now. I'm not gonna mention what insurance uh, a people company but you know I'm a resident of Georgia we moved up here to do Fox Souls Black Report resident of Georgia so I had everything I needed to be done from the rooted to the two to down in Georgia I, I couldn't stay down there for the mammogram okay mm -hmm. which is here it's covered get up here they say you have to go see a doctor to get a prescription to an order to get the mammogram so all of a sudden I'm getting all these bills 260 here 240 here once I'm like what is the problem the insurance company said well, you maxed out. I said, well, how? Mm -hmm. I said, because this is all I needed up here in Michigan, and you're saying you're covering these mammograms. What are you nickel and diming me about? So we're going around and around in the circles now, and it just frustrates me how much of a ripoff and a disappointment health insurance is. Period. Run, run tell that. <laughs> it really is. It, well, you know, we need to get it together. That's why, you know, we say healthcare in this country, there are people that believe that it is not a privilege, but it should be a human right, mm -hmm. right? And that fight continues. And so y'all better be, beware or of who move. you vote for and don't vote or for. Or maybe I'm move to saying. Canada. Don't they have universal health care? Just right, saying. Right across the bridge from here. Right across. Just <laughs> do a little swim. Uh, well, moving along, Black Lives Matter Global Foundation faces a financial crisis with records showing an $8.5 million deficit last year and a dramatic drop in donations. The foundation is also under investigation for potential misappropriation of funds for personal gain. It is important to distinguish the foundation from Black Lives Matter grassroots. That's the group that's responsible for the movement's on the ground work. Now, Black Lives Matter grassroots has released a statement clarifying their separation from the Global Foundation, highlighting that the foundation took their financial resources and name over a year ago. The two entities are currently engaged in a legal battle over the rights associated with the Black Lives Matter movement. Leaving all of the soulmates across the land, near and far, confused as hell. I remember we had one guest on and she, you know, clarified it, but I still walked away from that interview and scratching my tracks because I did, I, you know, it's so closely related and it's become so confusing and a gray area you don't know how to follow uh, the, the breadcrumbs, if you will, and, and who to support. I'm assuming we need everybody as far as our fight for justice and, and getting justice for these families, these victims, police brutality, the gun laws, the whole, the whole nine. But help us out here. Mm -hmm. You know, who do we follow? Who do we trust? Who, who's on code? Where, who, where's this message come? Are y'all together? Are y'all separate? It's really confusing. I mean, I think part of, part of, one way I look at it is Black Lives Matter Global Foundation. That's where a lot of the money resided, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, we reported on the story of sort of the, the $90 billion or almost $100 million uh, that they had and, and, and lost, you know, control of, and they're fighting that out in court. Um, so that's where the money resides, but where the people reside is Black Lives Matter grassroots, which mm -hmm. has chapters across the country, mm -hmm. right? And it was Black Lives Matter grassroots that sort of called attention to the fact that, mm, you know, wait a minute, you know, uh, you know, we're not getting the resources that we need. And so they're figuring all of that out. But I think what is 
uh, important to focus on is that the work continues. You know, I think sometimes we get caught up, you know, in some of the internal politics, and there are lots here uh, within the Black Lives Matter organization. You know, but. Each and every day, we're reporting on issues related to police misconduct. We're reporting on, you know, racial injustice, uh, you know, that our people are suffering from across the country. And look, my understanding is that the Black Lives Matter grassroots organization is more dedicated than ever. Um, you know, they just don't have the same resources that they had uh, three years ago. Mm, but the optics don't look good. Sounds like some infighting to me, and that doesn't look good. All right, Adidas has announced that proceeds from the sale of its remaining Yeezy inventory will be donated to Philanese and Keita Floyd Institute for Social Change and the Family Foundation of Police Brutality victim George Floyd. Adidas will also donate proceeds from Yeezy's uh, sales to the Anti-Defamation League. The gesture comes in light of Kanye West's prior statements about the Jewish community and others. If the tail of the tape, if y'all don't pull it from the files, I said, Adidas, donate the shoes. You did say that. I did. You sat right there in that chair. Can you I get sure a check that. for that or no? That's on the house. That's that's human, humane. We're just here as public servants. Oh. I said it. You did say it. I said donate. I'm, 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 What's I'm, the problem? I'm giving you your credit. You're Thank right. You. You're right. And, and Adidas. And you know, I think they're doing the right thing. And, yeah. and and keep it coming. I mean, I think there are a lot of companies that have made commitments three years ago. I mean, right now we're commemorating the third anniversary of the the violent death of mm -hmm. George Floyd mm -hmm. and the movement that followed. It's important to note that there were a lot of companies that made a lot of commitments that they haven't come through on. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of money that's unspent. You know, there's there's a, a lot of of work to do and we've got to find a way to fill that gap. And so, you know, to all the corporate executives and nonprofit executives that are listening, we know who you are. And we ain't gonna say your name, but we know who you are, and you know we know what you committed to, and so do what you said you were gonna do. Well, somebody from those corporations, somebody's listening to and watching Foxhole's Black Report because I said to donate the shoes, and they have donated the shoes. All right. I don't get a cut of nothing. Uh uh. But they, just for the suggestion, marketing, no, promotion. No, you don't. <laughs> Moving along, there's more to come on Foxhole's Black Report, including. The prison sentence of rapper Fetty Wap. Yeah, we'll tell you what he's convicted of and how long he'll be away for. We'll be right back, soulmates. I don't get nothing. Nothing. Why? Public service. <laughs> Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, Amanda Gorman is criticizing a decision to ban her poem written for President Biden's inauguration from being read at a Florida elementary school. And has since been invited to Miami to perform her historic poem. The Bob Graham Education Center in Miami Lakes has placed her poem titled The Hill We Climb on a restricted list after a parent complained it contained, quote, hate messages. Gorman says she's, quote, gutted by the decision. Yeah, after word spread, the mayor of Miami-Dade County has invited Gorman to visit and read her work 
to an audience. The poem and books are still available for older children in the district. Yes, yeah, still available. So, you know, those parents or those people who, you know, are, are a little bit more free thinking and understand that this is poetry and artistry. And then this is just a part of her moment, just a grand, amazing, historic moment in time for her. And that's what this is all about. And as an artist, you, you get it, you get to express those things. You got your first amendment. You, you you just get to do what you do and say how you say it. It's deemed as such. And so, yeah, for those that is still available to uh, embrace it, for those that, that is not available to, that doesn't mean you can't read it in your home. That doesn't mean you can't provide it in some other way to your child. It's just like she said, it's, it's just a gutting experience to think that her 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 heart and her work and her and what comes from her soul has been thrown into this this movement. And it's important to know this is how racism and bigotry works. It is irrational. It is not reasonable. It doesn't make any sense, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this is a young woman who made her country, her country proud mm -hmm. when she walked up there on the inauguration stage. And as so many poet laureates uh, in years past, think of, you know, the great Maya Angelou, right? Uh, and so many others. You know, she delivered a poem that was intended to unify the country, that was in intended to encourage us to move on, to, to climb this hill together, right? And think about, you know, how so many of us felt, some of which may not have voted for, for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, right? And so to have this school do this, it's purely political. I think mm -hmm. it's motivated by racism and bigotry. Uh, and it's wrong, it's wrong. You know, and, and this was a parent. It's not like a group of parents complained. It's not like there was a petition mm -hmm. uh, drive to, 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 you know, get rid of this. You know, this was a parent that complained. And because of that, you know, you know now, uh, you know, her poem is being taken out of that school. Makes no sense. Uh, we better get a handle on this real quick because today it's Amanda Gorman and tomorrow it's going to be somebody else and somebody else. And who wants to live in an America, you know, where, you know, artists, you know, are subject to this kind of censorship? Yeah, well, you know, she's been on fire from day one and I think this is just going to add fuel to her fire and she's going to bless us with even more uh, in, in, uh, incredible poetry. All right, let's move on here. Rapper Fetty Wap will spend six years in prison, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. The rapper will also be under supervision for five years after his release. A New York federal court sentenced him to, uh, for rather, conspiracy to distribute cocaine. Prosecutors say the trap a queen rapper was part of an organization that distributed more than 100 kilograms of cocaine, heroin, and fentanyl, along with crack cocaine across Long Island and New Jersey. I mean, this story just really makes me sad. It really makes me sad because such a talent, you know, uh, and look at what he got caught up in. Mm -hmm. You know, fentanyl kills, by the way, right? You're pushing this out into our community. Meanwhile, we're buying tickets and we're going to support you at your concert. We're buying your album, right? It's wrong, you know, and, you know, he's got to figure out, you know, how to uh, regain the trust of the community. And so, you know, he rightfully should be Look, serving some time. You are he's the, got some stuff to think about. You are the sum of your choices. So choose well. And we all fall, but we got to get back up. And if you have the opportunity to redeem yourself and choose again, choose better and choose better predicated on the lesson that you've learned from when you didn't choose well.
That's all I got to say. I, I, I thought he was already serving some time. I, I thought he was already, I can't keep up with these rappers. I really can't. But, you know, it's, it, it is unfortunate and sad because he was, you know, highly regarded and celebrated. Well, I hope he chooses differently and a lot yeah. of people that follow him. Um, moving along, gospel artist, pastor, and Detroit native Dietrich Haddon is coming to his wife's defense over a recent clip that's making the rounds online. That's gospel artist Dietrich Haddon and his wife twerking at his 50th birthday party. And that dancing has stirred up quite the debate. Some of the singer's conservative Christian followers don't approve, saying it's too racy. One wrote, quotes, living in these last and evil days, my heart <laughs> aches for this generation. But others defend the couple, oh, writing, God. quotes, people need to stay out of married folks' business. May God continue to bless your union. Haddon posted, quotes, it will be so dope if we could celebrate our differences instead of demonizing everyone who doesn't think like you. Listen, you know, post-pandemic, as the veil has been lifted, do you? I, I don't have anything to, to say about it. You know, I don't, you know, feel most ways about it. If I do, it's probably a private, especially with me being in the media, it's a private conversation, mm -hmm. you know, with, with friends or, or family who I can, who I can trust. And, and then my views and opinions are left right there at, at, the, at the kitchen table. But, you know, they're married and, you know, these, you know, Christian gospel singers are, and church folks are, are people too. So, you know, I can see by looking at that how it can be deemed inappropriate, but I can also see how it's a man and his wife having a good time. I think to your point, we forget that, that leaders of the church, that, that gospel artists are also people, mm -hmm. you know, and they also, they make mistakes, they celebrate, you know, they have a good time with their spouses. And I just think sometimes when we, when we make, you know, uh, Christians into being, having to be perfect, mm -hmm. you know, having to live up to everybody else's expectations. You know, I, I think we do a disservice to the faith. And so, yeah. you know, all the holy rollers yeah. out there, you well, know, be kinder, be kinder. I mean, some of those messages were, were, were really mean and nasty well, you know, and she, for no good reason. She, she, she's keeping them uh, like she, she got them. And if you know the backstory on that story, you know I'm telling the truth. Nick Cannon is apparently looking for a visit from the Beehive in a recent podcast. He seems to pit Beyonce and Bruno Mars against each other. Take a look. See, I think, I, no offense, but I would rather go to a Bruno Mars show than a Beyonce or a Taylor Swift. You out your man. Who got more hits? You Beyonce, what you talking about? Beyonce got more hits than Bruno Mars. Beyonce, Beyonce. single ladies, love on top, drunk in love, crazy in love. <laughs> Don't play with me, Nick. So good. I still believe Bruno Mars actually has more. Name, name a hit. Name That's a good top five. Go ahead, name. Y'all better stay clear of uh, Nick Cannon. Uh, and you know social media quickly, quickly came with all the receipts. They both have the same number of number one hits at eight. But Bay has 21 top 10 hits to Bruno's 18 uh, and uh, 81 100 singles to Bruno's 32. 
Uh, so uh, here, here's the hashtag, don't come for the queen. <laughs> but they are, they're both great artists. This is, the whole debate seems <laughs> silly to me. They're, they're both really great artists and, you know, you know, you don't have to, you know, be team Beyonce, you know, and, you know, be against team Bruno. I, I'm team for all of the above. Mm, you, you, you team Brew and Bay. Brew and Bay. Well, listen, I mean, to me, they're different kind of artists. I know that um, uh, Bruno has been kind of like a, accused of cultural appropriation. I'm not sure of, of his heritage. I know he's he's brown skinned, um, but that last album. Skinned? Yeah, that, <laughs> that last right. album, the duet, that was hot and, and he pulled out of his Grammy nominations, I think because he didn't really want to get any backlash or any heat for maybe, you know, you know, pulling a lot of awards or, or Grammys from folks who wouldn't have got them had he stayed in those categories. So listen, at the end of the day, as, as the soulmates like to say it's all good music it's entertaining and there's enough room for everybody enough room for everybody that's right let the church say amen mm. well a former member of earth wind and fire one of my favorite groups by the way sheldon reynolds he's died reynolds joined the band as singer and lead guitarist in 1987 he once owned the black widow one of Jimi hendrix's guitars wow. reynolds was briefly married to hendrix's adopted sister janie he was 63 years old. And more sad news uh, today as famed jazz musician Bill Lee has died at the age of 94. Lee is the father of director Spike Lee, and he was a famous jazz bassist. Just in case you didn't know, he played with major stars, including Bob Dylan, Duke Ellington, and the late great queen, Aretha Franklin. He also wrote soundtracks for several of uh, Spike's uh, feature films, including Do the Right Thing, School Days, and She's Got to have it. Yeah, his father was like a, a, a mainstay uh, in his career. You always uh, saw him in the mix, especially as Spike's career caught fire. And and his movie, Spike's movies are great, but those soundtracks mm -hmm. who his dad, you know, contributed to are awesome as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, all legendary. I mentioned that you know, Earth, Wind & Fire. That was actually the very first concert I ever went to. Earth, Wind & Fire? Earth, Wind & Fire. They were at the Concord Pavilion How old uh, were you? in the Bay Area. It might have been around Maybe 12, okay. 11, 12. So you caught them like in the 90s, maybe 90s? It, 90s, okay. 90s, yeah. Um, I caught them in the 70s. Uh, two <laughs> Afro puffs. I might have been about 10. It was the 70s. I had a poncho. It's not poncho. a competition, Yes, it is, Courtney. because I saw it's the original Earth, Wind & Fire. Oh, Lord. Prayers and blessings out to the man who just passed. But I was like, who? Because he's 87. Yeah. I knew the 70s crew. But anybody affiliated or a part of the um, Earth, Wind & Fire, whatever, Whatever iteration, whatever is dope. That's where you period. need to be. That's, That's right. Up next. But I went in the 70s. You did. Up next, it's the best way to end the show. Black excellence time. We'll tell you the latest company to partner with college basketball superstar Angel Reese. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. I went in the 70s. Original. Yes, Lord. Okay. Myel Organics is named LSU's Angel Reese as its newest ambassador. The star forward who led LSU's Lady Tigers to their first ever women's NCAA basketball championship back in April has just struck her first major beauty deal. Now, the partnership will include Reese's involvement in marketing, social media, and events. Reese will also hand select a limited edition product that will be available later this summer.
the Bayou Barbie mm -hmm. has over 4 million followers across Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and is part of a wave of college athletes turned beauty influencers. Reese's 17 other names, uh, images and likeness deals with Bose and Outback Steakhouse and Mercedes-Benz mm -hmm. making her uh, her net worth an estimated $1.4 million. Yeah. Excuse me, ma'am. In, in, in NIL deals. It's a wonderful look. And big ups to Myel, who definitely, you know, made the girl look right. I was a little disappointed with Sports Illustrated because I just felt like there was something missing, like a little bit of a polish on those on those photos. But these photos here, she's a beautiful girl flat out. Yeah. But these photos here, next level. I just like felt like Sports Illustrated did not do her some justice. Yeah, I think the photo, I think the, the, the there's room for improvement with those photos, but let me tell you, mm -hmm. I'm just totally in awe of her entrepreneurial skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only is she a skilled athlete, you know, but she's a skilled businesswoman. I mean, if already her net worth is $1.4 million, fasten your seatbelt. I mean, you know, this is the kind of entrepreneurship that we like to celebrate, and that's the black excellence that we should all be inspired by. Absolutely. For the rundown, the full rundown on today's stories and more, Access Fox Souls video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other black centered content. Don't forget to download the Fox Soul app. It is free. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte, your favorite Earth, Wind, and Fire fan. Uh, uh, on behalf of all of us here at Fox Souls Black Report, stay lifted. If you went in the 70s, maybe, but not, not a 90s concert. Keep your head to the sky. You need to, because I won that. Please stay encouraged because I, I was a 70s Earth with a fire concert. <laughs>